It's been a long day for the Rams. The there we go. <laughs> Once again, the sound of the shofar sometimes used to call God's people to special occasions. Well, we have just finished the first session of the basic understanding and order of the tabernacle where God says, uh, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And how do you come to this God? We looked at the altar of sacrifice in the outside courtyard, a place of cleansing that has to be dealt with first before anything else happens. We must be saved. So that Paul would tell the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, he said, I delivered unto you first of all. What did you tell him first, Paul? How to do church? Not first of all. How that Christ died for our sins. According to the scripture, it was buried and rose again. And a cherubim above the ark. There, not here, not out there, there. This, this cloud in the daytime and pillar of fire at night was right in between those guardians there, the cherubim. And it was blockaded by this veil. And so it was God's place where he communicated to Moses to rule Israel. So Moses would go out and say, here's what God uh, wants you to do, and so on. So that, uh, that happened right here. Now, this ark, it was a chest. Just like you have a chest at home and it has some things in it. God had three things in it. Three th First, let's look at the three things that were in it. Uh, if you go back to Hebrews 9. Hebrews chapter 9, please. Hebrews 9. Keep in mind that it functions as a parable. Keep in mind it's a parable of Christ. And He has come. So that as we learn these things, you want to ask God to help you in your mind. How does this point to Jesus Christ, the reality? So Hebrews chapter 9. I'll take you, if I could, down to verse 3. Hebrews 9 and verse 3. Well, I'll make it verse 2. Hebrews 9 and verse 2. For there was a tabernacle made the first, that's room number one, where was the candlestick, the table of showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And I'm standing in front of the showbread. There's your lampstand candlestick back there. Now look at verse 3. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. Here, here was curtain number one to get in here, sometimes called the door, into the sanctuary itself. But then this second one is called the veil. It veiled, it covered, it blockaded. And it's called the holiest or the holiest of all because this is the actual presence of God, His throne room. And it was a forbidden city. It was a forbidden area. You just couldn't come in there, as I said. Well, it goes on to talk about the ark that is there. You look at verse 4. Which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. Three things, according to Hebrews 9.4, was inside that ark. The tables of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, the golden pot of manna, we'll talk about that, and Aaron's rod that budded. But there's a reason they're in there. I want to show you that reason. Let's, let's go to the Old Testament, to Exodus chapter 25. Back to the Old Testament record here. Exodus, if you would, in chapter 25. We'll 
I'll take you to verse 22. I'll show you one of the names of the ark. You've heard of the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Well, God's ark had a couple names. One name is the Ark of the Covenant because it's the covenant he made with Israel in there. But it also had another name. And look at verse 22. Exodus 25 and verse 22. And there will I meet with thee, talking to Moses, and I will commune or speak with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. You see what are the names here? The ark of the testimony. The ark of the testimony. And another word for testimony is simply witness. It's called the tabernacle of witness also in the Bible. So this ark gets a special name, the ark of the testimony or the ark of witness. So in other words, this ark is going to testify. You know when you testify, what do you do? Somebody says, would you testify what happened? You tell them what happened. It's going to tell you about God. It's going to bear witness. The tabernacle of witness. The ark of the testimony. What is this God like? We're talking about coming into the presence of God. Well, what is he like? Is he like me? Is he my idea? Is he that religion's God, that religion? Oh, well, who is this God? God has designed something that was wood made of two materials, wood and gold, overlaid with gold. Heavenly guardian golden cherubim, and inside it, there were three things. And those three things are going to function as a testimony. They're going to tell you about the living God. The great mysteries of life, the great seekers of life are all tucked away in the ark of the testimony. Things people are searching for, things people are longing for, God has put them in there. And it's going to function if we dare investigate and answer the essential questions of life. The ark of the witness, the ark of the testimony. And that the things put in there will function as a testimony. They'll be witnessing to God. Who is this God that dwells there? How can I know Him? What is He like? You're going to find out in the ark of the testimony and what it has to do with His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, the first thing we're going to talk about that was in the ark, if you want to open that up, please. If you look at Exodus chapter 25, and look at verse 16. Exodus 25 and verse 16. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I will give thee. Put in the testimony, the witness. Now look at verse 21. Exodus 25 and verse 21. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I will give thee. That testimony turned out to be, as we'll see in a minute, the tables of the covenant we read about, the Ten Commandments. Now, in this particular ark, we did something the Bible doesn't do. We put a mirror there. Okay? It's only so you can see the reflection of what's in it. It wasn't there in the Scripture, okay? If you read Deuteronomy chapter 10... Moses was to put the tables of the covenant into the ark as a testimony. Now, you notice the ones I'm holding with the Ten Commandments on them. They're, they look like they're cracked, don't they? That, that's meant to convey something. And what it's meant to convey, that it's the second set. Because the first set God gave them, Israel said, everything God says we'll do. And when Moses is up getting them, they just broke the law. And they created idols, and they had a sexual party, and they just broke what they promised. 
And when Moses came down and saw that within days they had broken their promise, in fury he took that first slit and slammed it on the ground and broke it. And God caught him, called him back up and said, I'll give you a second set. And it was written with the finger of God. And it's the second set that went in there, showing us that, that the first set had been broken, showing us that we are sinners. Sin is the transgression of the law, 1 John 3, 4. And all have sinned, Romans 3, 23. It gives a testimony to the fact that we don't keep God's holiness and righteousness. That's why there's a second set in there. But it also functions as a testimony to God. So let's just do a quick review of the Ten Commandments, at least some of them, to see how it tells us the great mysteries of who this God is. Tucked away here, uh, there it is if you investigate it, uh, in this ark of the testimony, the very mysteries of life. First commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. All right? You know what commandment number one tells you? There's only one God. No other gods before me. It's not, well, well, this is their God. No, no, no other gods before me. Suddenly we learn it's not this religion's God and that religion's God. It is Jehovah God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of whom he revealed himself to. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And we suddenly learn that he is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. Monotheism. And so you learn the great mystery of life. It's written right there on the Ten Commandments in the Tabernacle of Testimony. No other gods before me. The second one, you want to make graven images to bow down before him. You can't replicate him. You'll reduce him. He's an eternal God. The third one, you want to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. He's to be feared. He's to have reverence. People, you know, drop something on their foot and they'll say GD or JC. That's not good. They text today and say OMG. Use something else to express your excitement, you know. It's to be used in prayer and worship and teaching. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So we start to learn a little bit about this character of God. We also, in commandment number four, he told Israel to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Hmm? You know why he told them that? Well, listen. They were to represent God. Who is this God they're representing, they're witnessing to? He says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Therefore he hallowed the Sabbath day. Exodus 20 and verse 11. Suddenly you learn that this one God is the creator God. In six days he made heaven and earth. And you learned how he did it. He did it in six days, a Jewish work week, and it was all done and perfect, and he rested the seventh day. So the Jews in resting the seventh day are saying the one true God is the creator who made it all in six days. There's people still going to outer space to try to find out where life came from. It's right there in the ark. <laughs> We've been created in six days. And God made all things in heaven and earth and the sea and so on. In six days. The answers of life, of where we came from. And is there a God? If there is, how many are in the ark of the testimony? You put the testimony in that I will tell thee. Well, that's the first four. There are six more, aren't there? And those final six have to do with basic morality toward one another. You know, children, honor your father and your mother. huh? And thou shalt not kill or murder. And thou shalt not commit adultery. And thou shalt not covet and bear false witness and things like that and, and steal. Thou shalt not steal. 
saw a sign going down the road the other day, perhaps you've seen it, where they attribute something that God said. It says, which part of thou shalt not did you not understand? No. Anyway, I thought it made a point. But uh, what we have is that God is a righteous, moral God. You see, what, what's he like? He's against adultery, cheating on somebody's spouse. He's against stealing, violating human rights like that. He's against dishonor to family protocol, mother and father and so on. He's against deceiving, lying and so on. He's a righteous, moral God. You know, some people, they say, well, I didn't write the rules, and why do I have to go by what my mom and dad wrote or my religion? I didn't write the rules. They're right, they didn't write the rules, but neither did their mom and dad. Did you know what Exodus 31:18 says? Two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. One of the few things he ever wrote personally with his finger. Engraved in stone. You know who the author of morality is? God. That's who wrote the rules. He's a moral, righteous God. He is the author, and to break it is to rebel against him. So you say, I didn't write the rules, and you're rebelling against your creator. It's true you didn't write them. It's true mom and dad didn't. The chapel didn't write them. Western civilization didn't write them. God wrote them with his finger. And they're in stone. You know, that, that means it has permanent value. Did you ever write something in sand? It doesn't last very long, does it? Write it in stone, and, and it's permanent there. And so we have a, a creator God, a single God, a reverent God, a moral God, Put the testimony into the ark that I tell thee. The ark of the testimony tells me the character of the one true God. And there it is, all engraven in stone. And I can start to know about God. So the, this gives us the truth of God. The truth of God is revealed in the tables of the covenant. Well, having said that, I will lay them aside for now. There was a second thing in the ark that reveals us something. And that is the golden pot of manna. I'd like if you have your Bibles to go to Exodus chapter 16, please. Exodus chapter 16. Here you see a golden pot, and you see this little round white thing. They're called manna. Okay? It's called manna. It's the second thing that went in the ark of the testimony. So if you go to Exodus chapter 16, and just a little story about it here. You look here at verse 4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, and I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Now the people are in the wilderness. They're going to the promised land. They're out of Egypt. But see that hot, barren desert floor? Can't grow stuff there. No farms there. It's desert. It's wilderness. No piggly, wiggly, or publix or anything like that or Wegman's where I come from. Yeah, where are you going to get food? How will God's people be sustained in life to ever reach their inheritance to promised land? How will they be provided to have life? Well, God tells them how. And here's the simple lesson here. I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather it. It was going to come from heaven. What was going to give life would not come from below. It wouldn't, they, it wouldn't grow up like most food does. It would rain this special bread from heaven, and it would fall down on earth. We'll just do a few there for now. Now, when the people went out, they had never seen this before. Uh, look, look at verse 15. Exodus 16 and verse 15. 
And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. It's one of those Hebrew words. I'll teach you a little Hebrew tonight. Mana. And, you know, mana literally means what is it? They looked at this stuff and they said, Mana, what is it? And the name stuck. The name stuck. And that's what it got called, manna. And Moses answers their question. Look, look at the end of verse 15. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. And so now we learn something. God's people need truth, but they also need life. They're going to make it. Huh? Where does life come from? The Lord shall rain bread down from heaven. What will give his people life has to come from heaven. Not from earth. It starts in heaven and comes down to the earth. And then they have to eat it. They could look at this man and say, hey, the Bible says it was round like hoarfrost. It said it tasted like wafers made with honey. And they could look at it and say, I, I like that. Mm, smells good. I'm just going to put some on my shelf right here. They're not going to live. Got to eat it. Got to take it in. And then they would live. And so what will provide life for them comes from heaven. God gives them truth in the tables of the covenant. He gives them life in the manna from heaven, the bread from heaven that comes from God. Well, look what Moses was told to do with that. Uh, uh, if you go to verse 32, verse 32, chapter 16, Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron uh, take a pot and put an omer full of manna therein and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. And the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And so he lays it up before the testimony. It too becomes a testimony that the life of God, life comes from God and it comes from heaven. And so now we have two things it tells us. That God is the source of truth, and God is the source of life. It has to come from heaven. Very simple thing. That's how they lived. That's how they made it as a nation to the promised land in a barren wilderness with no food. Bread rained from heaven and came down to earth, and they did eat it, the manna from heaven. Well, that's two things that are in the ark. But how many things were in it? Three. Three. And we read in, in Hebrews 9 that Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron's rod that budded. Let me tell you the story on that quickly. If you have your Bibles, go to Numbers 17. Numbers chapter 17. A problem happened among the people of God. You might find it hard to believe, but it did. And uh, it concerned God's high priest. I'll bring him out just a little bit. Aaron and his brother Moses. Now, Moses gave the commandments to the people, and Aaron was the high priest who represented the people. And once a year, as we'll learn Sunday morning, he could come in here to make national atonement for the whole nation. And he had special privileges. Well, there was a man named Korah, and he had some friends. They got together. And they looked at Moses, and they looked at Aaron, and they said, we're holy too. You get to do all the things, and I'm paraphrasing now. You think you're holy? We're just as holy as you. Why do you get to do these special things? And when Moses and Aaron heard that, Moses fell on his face before God. 
You see, we're going to learn a priesthood representing people to God. Leading the way to God is not something you go to school to do. It's not something you say, well, I like my career as a priest. I'll go get an A-plus average, and I'll be a, a priest. No, God says in Hebrews 5, 4, speaking of priesthood, No man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that was called of God as was Aaron. It is God's choice who will be priest. What God did to those rebels? Moses said, seek ye the priesthood. God gave you something to do, and now you want to elevate yourselves and be a priest? And God says the ground just opened up and swallowed them alive. I guess you'd call it a sinkhole. And just bury them, a live burial. And then fire came down and consumed the rest. Now, when the children of Israel saw that, they saw these people die. They saw the fire from heaven. They saw the ground open up supernaturally. They blamed the leadership. Can you believe that? They turned to Moses and said, you killed the people of the Lord. You did. Moses did it. How could he do it? But that's what they said. And God was so furious with the hardness of his people, he sent a plague and they started to die. And Moses interceded. And God said, I'm going to do something so Israel will never make the same mistake twice. So from this day forward, they'll always know who the true priest is. And here's what I'm going to do. That takes you to the story of number 17. Look at Numbers chapter 17. God's answer, how we can know who the true priest is that leads us to the God, the way to God. Look here in Numbers 17 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and take of every one of them a rod, according to the house of their fathers, of all their princes, according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods, write every man's name upon his rod. So there were twelve tribes. And they were all to get their rod, that is their staff, maybe we'd call it a walking stick today. And he says the 12 tribes get that. And when they get their rod, it's nothing but a dead stick. It's a branch that's now dead. And uh, uh, he says, write their name. You know, if you're Dan, you'll write Dan or, or uh, uh, Judah or uh, Levi or Issachar, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. I, I like each tribe uh, where you come from just to write your name on there, you would. This dead stick, this rod, staff. So they did. Well, it goes on to say in verse 3. And thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi. The one rod shall be for the uh, house of the house of their fathers, the head of the house of their fathers. So on Aaron's rod, uh, who came from Levi, he wrote the name Aaron, A-A-R-O-N. Now they had 12 dead rods or staffs, and they had their names on them, including the high priest Aaron. Now look what God says, so to speak, the winner of the contest. Look at verse 4. And thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet with you. So Moses was to take these 12 rods, these dead sticks, and lay them up before the Lord where God would meet with him. And there they lay in front of God. Now, verse 5. Verse 5. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose. Priesthood is whom God chooses. And how will I know which man is it? Well, God will tell you how you will know. Verse 5, And it shall come to pass, the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom, and I will make the cease for me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. The man's rod that when you come back in the morning, Moses, and it's not dead anymore, there's leaves, there's fruit, there's almonds, it's blossom, it's come to life. That's, that, that's who you know my choice will be. Something started out dead will end up living. <laughs> well, look at verse 6. 
And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece for each prince, one according to their father's houses, even twelve rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses laid the rods up before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Here comes a witness. They're laid up in the tabernacle of witness overnight. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. It says, And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and there he goes in. And he looks at those dead rods, and he says, Behold, in verse 8, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloom blossoms and yielded almonds. And so he brings out all the rods. And 11 of them look just the same. There's no change. They're as dead as ever, still a walking stick. But he picked up Aaron's rod, and behold, would you look at it? It budded. The full stage of life, the flowers and uh, you can see them later, but there's the almonds, the fruits there, and the flowers. It's in the full stage of life. So God made his choice knowing that something, after being there all night, came to life. So he says in verse 9, And Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord unto all the children of Israel, and they looked and took every man his rod. And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a token against the rebels, and thou shalt quite take away their murmurings from me, that they die not. It's a testimony, so they'll never make the mistake again and die again. Bring it before the testimony. Now they know the way to God is God's choice, his priest, and that is the one who will lead them to God. They have learned the truth of God, who he is, creator, his morality. They have learned in the manna that God is the source of life. They have learned in the testimony of the Aaron's rod that budded that it's whom God chooses, and the sign was it was came to life in the morning. And so now they knew these things. Well, that's the Old Testament picture, but it is a picture of Christ. When we think of God's Son now, the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ, some of you young people could say it to me. There's a verse in the Bible where Jesus Christ claimed to be three things. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is all three things in one. He's the way to God. He's the truth of God. He's the life because he's the Son of God. Let's think a minute of the truth. The Bible says, speak of the, he said, I am the truth. He didn't say, I know the truth. I'll show you the truth. I am the truth. The Bible says he was the eternal creator God. And in John 1.14 it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became a man. It went on to say in John that he has revealed the only begotten father to us. He's declared him. And we can know even further things about God now because God has come to earth. You know, there's, there's a, psalm, a verse in the psalm speaking of the Lord Jesus. I, I like how it puts it. It says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Psalm 40, verse 8. Yea, thy law have I hid within my heart. Where was this law? It, it, was in God, it was in the ark. Speaking of the law of God is in the heart of the Lord Jesus. He's, a, he's holy. He just doesn't go to school and learn the law. He's intrinsically holy. You do remember this ark is made out of two things. Wood which grows from earth and gold. Heavens have streets of gold. Speaks of the glory of the Son of God and the humanity of the Son of Man. Two in one. And within the heart of Jesus Christ, 
is the law of God. He, he, he is holy, intrinsically holy. He didn't have to go learn it. The yea, thy law is within my heart, just like it was in the ark. Okay? And he's revealed us the truth of God. He hath declared him. So that when the Lord Jesus speaks, I don't have to say, well, I'm guess, I hope so. How do I know there's a heaven in my Father's house? And the Son of God said, how do I know there's a hell? I don't want to believe in a hell. The rich man also died in hell. He lifted up his eyes, Jesus Christ said in Luke 16, 23. He has revealed the necessity of salvation. He has revealed something more than land and earth and politics, heaven and hell and a kingdom coming. And I know that truth because he has come. I am the truth. I have the fulfillment of truth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Study his words. Get to know him. And he'll give you the depths of truth. And you can know God because he is the truth. I am the truth. It simply spoke of the Lord Jesus. But he not only said, I am the truth, back to John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> the life. Just quickly, go with me to John chapter 6, please. New Testament now. John chapter 6. He not only gives truth, he gives everlasting life so we can live forever with God and never die and perish but he calls himself the manna. John chapter 6 here. He had just fed the 5,000. They wanted to make him king so they could get free bread for life and not have to work. And he takes it to a higher level here. They remind the Lord Jesus uh, in verse 31. Look at John 6 and verse 31. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Our fathers ate manna. Remember that miracle? And the Lord Jesus says this in verse 32. Then Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Oh, this was just a picture. It was just physical bread. But there is true bread. And just like this came from God, the true bread comes from God. Where will you find life? You can go to all the religions of the world and the mystics and the philosophers. And you can search on earth, but it doesn't come from earth. Where did this manna come from? Kids can take it in. This is the bread the Lord rained from heaven to give you to eat. It has to come from above. And that's exactly where the Son of God came from. I am come from above, he said in John 8, 23. You are from beneath. He's the eternal God who left heaven. He's the creator. He didn't start on earth like you and me. He's the eternal God. And what gives life has to come from heaven. And he's the one man who came down from heaven. I have come in to the world to save sinners. So he goes on to say here, look at uh, verse uh, 33, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. And in verse 47, look at the life he's talking about. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Verse 49. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. Yeah, on the physical level, it gave them life. They died 40 years later, some of them, some a little later. They're dead. But I, I, I give everlasting life. Look at verse 51. Or 50. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. 
I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Speaking of that sacrifice again, my body, my flesh. We'll talk more about that later. He had to die for our sins. I'll give my, not my teachings, but my death, my flesh. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. God has sent his eternal son from heaven, and he's become the sacrifice on the cross. And if you'll eat him, that is take him in, not just know about him. Well, I went to Bible school. I know about him. I respect him. I celebrate Christmas. You, you can, that's like putting it on the shelf. Receive him as your Savior. Appropriate him by faith. And when you receive him, you become a son of God. You'll live forever. He's the source of everlasting life. He's the truth of God. He's the prophet of God. We can know God deeply because he hath revealed him. John 1.18. Pictured in the ark here. He's also the source of everlasting life. It's in Jesus Christ our Lord. Huh? But how many things were in the ark? All three. Uh, three things important. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the truth. He is the life. He's also the way. You see, he not only died... The Bible says on the third day God raised him up and he ascended into heaven and he ascended into heaven as our high priest. He's up there in a function, in a job, in a ministry, if you will. Listen to Hebrews 4.14. See in then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. The Christian faith has a priest, but you won't see him on earth. He's in heaven. He's on the right hand of God. This is simply a picture. And so there he is as the intercessor. So that if you come to him, he saves you. And he guides you through life. And even if you fail as a Christian, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. Because his blood cleanses from all sin. So I have in front of God uh, someone who now lives, and the Bible says he lives in the power of an endless life. He is the way to God. He, he brings me to God. Christ also once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. But how do you know and how do I know he is the way? There's other religions out there. And they'll tell you their man is the way. Well, who's to say you're right and they're not because they're probably sincere? Okay. How do I know that I, I won't get to the, those gates someday, as they say? I say, Lord, I'm here. I believe in Jesus Christ. He said, well, that's nice, but I didn't. Well, my mom and dad told me. My church told me. Well, that's nice, but I didn't. How can you be sure that he is God's high priest? That he is a priest forever? The same way they were sure. <laughs> Something dead came to life. Huh. Acts 2.32. This Jesus hath God raised up. He hasn't done that with anybody else to live forever in a glorified body. Go visit your different religious leaders. They're still in their tomb. It'll be an impressive tomb, but they're still there. You go to Jerusalem like I did, and I was waiting to get into that empty tomb, and uh, I couldn't figure out why this lady was doing it for a minute. The stones rolled away, and she's knocking on this tomb. And I said, what is she doing? She turns around and says, praise the Lord, nobody's home. You know, Acts 17.31 says, Whereof he, God, hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. That's your sign. He's the only one raised to the right hand of God. How do I know he's God's choice? The man that I will choose. He's called the chosen of God. 
and I had the sign of resurrection recorded, God raised him from the dead. That's why I can put my confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ as my one priest who will save me forever because he lives forever, Hebrews 7.25, when I come unto God by him. And I'm not going to be disillusioned. I'm not going to be surprised like some people and their priests will be because those other sticks stayed dead. But he came alive. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. He's the way. And so... In the ark of the testimony, God is the source of truth. God is the source of life. God has chosen His way. And this testimony tells it to you all. And it's all fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth of God. The one who died for our sins. Came down from heaven. The bread of God. And the way to God. He's ascended into heaven. And He'll lead you there too. May God give you good understanding. May God encourage you in the simple model children can take in. Now tomorrow, Lord willing, we're going to begin an approach. We already started with the sacrifice of sin, but we haven't talked about this piece here to labor. And then what's all this about? Well, God wants to take you somewhere. He wants to take you in here. Hmm. Service of God. But we're going to find out that he wants to take you even further, right into his presence, to God speaking and knowing God. But that lays ahead of us, and that is the story of the tabernacle as it pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we close in prayer, and then after it, you feel free to come up and look, and children, make sure you have a parent with you or an adult with you and so on. Appreciate that. Is there any brother in the assembly tonight that has a comment or question? Anything you'd like clarified? Anything you'd like to comment on that you have seen? Well, then, if you'd like to see or ask something later, we'll be up here. There's brochures in the back. There's booklets in the back. Uh, you'll see them in the foyer as you walk out. The cost to you is the same as your salvation costs you. So if you know the answer to that, it's a gift in our Lord Jesus. Maybe some brother could just ask God's blessing on the meetings tonight and this weekend, Lord willing. Thank you.